Guys, we're going to talk about elders today. Now, I'm going to start off with a little bit of an understanding of leadership. Okay, so, all right, I'm going to ask some questions here just to kind of understand where everybody's at here. Okay. Uh, I think primarily a lot of you are of this. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you think back to the types of churches that you, in your lifetime, how many of them have primarily been Baptist churches? If you'll raise your hand. Okay, most of you, okay. Now, how many of you have been in Methodist churches? Oh, a few of you, okay. How many of you have been in Alliance churches, Christian Missionary Alliance? Okay, a few of you here, okay. Now, how many of you have been in what's called like a free church? That is, like a Bible church, some type of independent church, a union church, some church like that that's not affiliated with anybody, but they're just kind of on their own. How many of you have been in a church like that? Okay, a few of you. Okay. Now, why am I asking you this question? Okay, because a lot of you here have had multiple experiences with different churches. Now, I want you to recognize something. When you went into those churches, did you realize that they always had different types of leaders? It wasn't necessarily the same as another church you went to. So, for instance, in some churches, if you were in a Baptist church, they had a pastor and they had deacons. How many of you had that experience where they had deacons, okay? And then maybe elders in a Baptist church, that's becoming more prevalent now, Okay, if you were an alliance church, you had elders and you had deacons, okay? Now, if you were in a Presbyterian church, you had elders and deacons. And if you were in a Presbyterian church that belonged to Presbyterian USA, they had female elders, okay? Female elders or female deacons. If you went to the Methodist church, you know, the only elders were pastors, ordained pastors, but you might have deacons or trustees or other people in a Methodist church, okay? So you've got all these different structures with all different ways of handling the way they do things. Now, in our church, we have the pastor, of course, but he is one elder among a group of elders. So we have elders, and then we have trustees. Now, where does that come from? We'll explain that in a moment, okay? So what we're going to talk about today is Timothy and Titus talk about biblical offices, biblical leadership, okay? So in Timothy, we're going to see this next week because we're going to talk about deacons next week. We're going to see that there are two offices that he specifically mentions, that one is elder and the other is deacon. So we're going to talk about that today. Now, if you, most of you here said you've been in a Baptist experience, and most of you, if you've been in a Baptist experience, know that in the Baptist experience, there's been the pastor who's always acknowledged, even in Baptist churches, as the elder. But then you have a deacon. But the deacon in a Baptist church, if you're honest with yourself, the type of decisions and the type of ministry that a deacon does in a Baptist church does not line up with What's in the Bible? How many of you have ever noticed that? If you've been on the board, you might have noticed that because you might have had a pastor who tried to emphasize that you guys aren't doing the biblical job. Okay? And usually that creates problems and headaches, and that pastor doesn't last too long before he's gone. 
Okay? Now, the reason why that is, is that typically in the American, and I use American as in the description of the United States, of Baptist churches in America, deacons are actually a hybrid office. Do you understand what a hybrid is? A hybrid, like for instance, a mule is a hybrid. What do you mean? A mule is a cross between a donkey and a what? A horse. A deacon in a Baptist church is a hybrid. He's a cross between a biblical elder and a biblical deacon. Why? Well, because in most churches where they had a pastor who is the elder, there weren't other elders. There weren't other men who were qualified to be elders, or they didn't think about other men being qualified to be elders, so they needed somebody They needed a group of men to be able to make the same kind of decisions that elders did while making the same kind of decisions and ministry decisions that deacons did. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it became a hybrid. Now, let me explain to you what do elders do. Elders, we're going to see here, are overseers in the church. We're going to explain that in a moment. But they oversee the spiritual direction and the doctrinal purity of the church. They do the teaching. Deacons, we'll see next week, do the ministry of ministering to people. And we'll explain a little bit more about that later. So let's get into it today. We're going to see, because you might be saying, well, George, I don't, this sounds pretty boring. I heard a laugh. Okay? Well, it's not going to be boring. You're going to see that God has a purpose for everything. And he has a purpose for the type of men and I use the word men, to be leadership in the church. And we're going to see that today. So we're going to look at seven verses today in chapter 3. And we're going to try to examine that in light of where we are and how we can do it. And hopefully we'll have a good discussion. So look with me at verse 1. We're going to look at, the first of all, the faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Now, the New King James, the King James would use the term bishop. Who's using an NIV here? Rob, what does your NIV say? Oh, you don't have your NIV open. Okay. Who has an NIV here that's open? Okay, I think in the NIV it says overseer. Is somebody using a version other than an NIV or a New King James here? Okay, what does the ESV say? Overseer. Okay. So you notice there in your notes, I gave you a little note concerning the issue of bishops. So let's, first of all, Paul affirms a common statement in the early church as being faithful. So the first thing he's going to say is, Look, I'm going to tell you a statement that is a pretty faithful statement in the early church. Okay? Pretty faithful statement that's from the early church. Now, here's the statement. Here's the saying. The statement held that a man who desired the office of bishop desires a good thing. The statement said that a man who desired the office of bishop desired a good thing. 
Now, the word bishop can be translated overseer. I'm just going to read you your note there. In the Greek culture, the term was used to refer to any kind of overseeing responsibility over people. Bishop slash pastor slash elders were leaders in a specific congregation. Paul uses the words bishop slash pastors slash elders interchangeably in his letters. They are primarily teachers that give direction to the congregation. Okay? Now, this is an interesting statement that he's making here. He's saying, this is a faithful saying among the churches, that he who desires the office of bishop desires a good thing. Now, I want to know your reaction to that statement. What's your first initial gut reaction? It might be a negative reaction. That's okay. It might be a positive reaction. That's okay, too. Like, my first reaction is a negative one, and I'll explain that in a moment. What's your reaction to that saying? I don't have one, George. The coffee's not flowing yet. What's your reaction? Okay, Bruce says it could be a positive or negative thing. Anybody else? Hopefully that's the prime, water in the pump here to get it primed. Rob? More of the person who's seeking it. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Gene? Okay, well, bishop, pastor, elders, as I mentioned, there, there, there are three different terms describing the same man. We're only talking one person, and that this one person, no, we're not talking about a group of people, we're talking about that somebody who desires to be like this one person is a good thing. Okay, so my question is, is do you think that's a good thing, or do you think that's not a good thing? Okay, so if some dude showed up here and he's all of a sudden new and after a few weeks he starts coming along to you and he says, hey, Bruce, how you doing, man? It's good to know you. Hey, you know, I really believe I should be a pastor. Within the first couple of weeks, that's a negative. Okay, that's a negative, all right? After two months, hey, Rob, I really think I should be a pastor. I, you should see the eyeballs. He didn't have to say anything, just the look, okay? What if, what if I came over to you, Gene, and the guy after a year says, you know, Gene, I think I should be a pastor. I sense your hesitancy. Yeah. yeah. Okay? All right, so that's what I'm asking you. How do you feel about that statement? Depends on the qualifications. What else? I, I want to know your hesitancy. Okay, desire and knowledge is two different things, huh? You wonder about, okay, here's one, motives, why do you want to be a pastor? Okay, that's a good one, okay. All right, now, I'm going to put everything in context, because that statement to us in our culture, you kind of have to wonder, like, have you been watching Joel Olstein? Do you know what I'm saying? Now, in their context, totally different meaning. 
Because then their context, which this would be true in like places like China or certain parts of India or North Korea. To be a bishop or an overseer in a church meant you would have a big target on your chest. You all of a sudden would be singled out for, because when the authorities want to come and get you, they usually go after not the person who's just the average guy in the church. They go after who? The leadership. Do you understand what I'm saying? They go after the head. Because everybody else is just insignificant and they'll just scatter and whatever. So in their context, if somebody wanted to be a, a, a overseer, knowing that that was a mantle that would be put on that would bring what? Problems, persecution. Paul's saying that's a good thing because nobody wants that job. Did you understand what I'm saying? Now, in our context, it's a little bit different. you got to wonder about the motive. Did you, did you understand what I'm saying? But understand their context, okay? This is a faithful saying that somebody who desires to be an overseer in the church that's that's a good thing because that's that's they're actually inviting themselves. That's why we're going to see here that the very f- next few verses, the rest of our time here, looks at qualifications for an elder. It's a good thing if you want to be an elder, but it's another thing as to whether or not you qualify. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. When we talk about the military today, we talk about the army or the navy. Who are the most elite troops in our armed forces? SEALs or, if you're in the Army, it's who? Uh, Not Rangers, but Green Berets, right? Okay. Now, I've been in the military. Tim's been in the military. Now, does anybody, does everybody want to be a Ranger or a SEAL? That'd be cool, right? Now, my question is, can can anybody be a Ranger or a SEAL? No. Why? They have to be qualified. That's right, Mary. They have to be qualified. Now, if you got a bunch of guys, I mean, uh, you know, there used to be a song. I remember growing up, how many of you, the Ballad of the Green Berets. Do you remember that song? Barry Sadler was the guy's name. And a hundred men, but only two, you know what I'm saying? So the point was, is that a hundred guys might try out, but only two would make it. Now, are we looking down upon the other 98 because they didn't make it? No, they j- they weren't qualified. Now, we understand that, right? That you have to be qualified in order to be a Green Beret, or you have to be qualified in order to be a Navy SEAL, right? Now, how come when it comes to a church, anybody can be a preacher or an elder? Did you know what I'm saying? And if you don't meet the qualifications, that's not saying you're less than, it's just saying you don't meet the what? Qualifications. Am I correct? Okay, now he's going to say, if you desire it, it's a good thing, but you got to what? Meet the qualifications. So let's go through the qualifications, okay? Start with verse 2. A bishop must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, Whoa, we'll talk about that one, okay? Not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, 
one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. A man does not know, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must be a, have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay, folks, we're going to look at his qualification here. And it really, it's going to talk about the first part, the first few verses are going to talk about his character. The issue with a guy becoming an elder is his character. Does everybody understand that? Now, we may live in a culture today where character doesn't matter so long as you get the job done. Is that right? We live in a culture like that. It doesn't matter if you're a schmuck just so long as you get the job done, right? We think that way about our politicians. Wow, we're in for it, aren't we? Okay, now, here's the thing. Character, the other thing is, is we're going to see his testimony. So let's look at his character, first of all. It says that he needs to be blameless. Hold on, George. Nobody qualifies, right? When you see that one, the a bishop must be blameless. Would everybody agree? Nobody qualifies. Would everybody agree with that? Everybody's hesitant here. Okay, Tammy's going to step out and say, yeah, okay. Well, that's because we have an English word that expresses blameless, and we think that means no problems, no sin, no nothing, right? Okay, problem is in the original language, it's it's a different word. So, for instance, when we say that Jesus was blameless, what do we mean by that? He was without sin and could not sin. Is that correct? Now, when it talks about an elder or a bishop or it talks about you being blameless, it's not using the same word. It's not saying that you need to be blameless like Jesus was because fact of the matter is, can anyone be blameless like Jesus? No. What's it talking about here? Well, the word that's being used here expresses that it means that nobody can lay a standing accusation against you. You are a Teflon person. You ever heard that term before? Remember when Ronald Reagan, he was called the Teflon president because nothing could stick to him? Okay? It means that if somebody lobs a accusation against you, it doesn't stick to you. Because your character is such that it's disproven. So here's what I want you to see. Paul states that an elder must be blameless and not have a standing accusation against him. So it's talking about the character of a person that that person, it's not saying that he doesn't sin, because everybody understand everybody sins, right? Everybody does wrong. Everybody makes bad business decisions, right? Okay. What it's saying here, though, is that as, as a character, as a whole, that person doesn't have a standing accusation against them, right? That's what I want you to see here. First thing I want you to see. Second thing, it's going to talk about his marriage. It says here, the term is a husband of one wife. The literal meaning is a one-woman man. A one-woman man. So, it states that the elder must be married and not divorced. 
The elder must be married and not divorced. Now, you say, well, that's awfully bad, George. That's not really culturally acceptable. I understand that, but that's really biblical. In fact, the whole issue of divorced men becoming elders really wasn't an issue until about 50 years ago in our culture. Why 50 years ago? Well, 50 years ago, we introduced something legally in our culture that's called a no-fault divorce, which made it easy for anybody to what? Get a divorce in our culture. So divorce became more prevalent than it was. So with that, some churches felt that they needed to adjust that. Well, it's fine if you want to adjust that, but you can't adjust the biblical text, and you can't adjust church history, because in church history, an elder was always considered to be a non-divorced man, somebody who was what? Married to the same woman. Do you understand? So the first thing is, states that an elder must be married and not divorced. So in our church, for instance, if you'll notice, when we select elders, we put very clearly on the on, on the nomination forms, when we select them, the very clearly it says that he cannot be divorced or, here's the other term, estranged. What does that mean? Separated from his wife. Okay? Can't be divorced or estranged from his wife in order to be an elder. Okay? In order to be an elder. Now, Paul states that an elder must live a lifestyle that is marked by moderation and temperance. Here it's talking about his character in the way that he lives his life. Okay? That he must be temperate and sober-minded. So that's talking about the way that he lives his life. So let, let, let's, what, what, what would you feel if we've got, we've got four elders in our church? Okay? And let's say if our elders started, starting next week, started sporting, first of all, they started telling you that you folks need to give more because we're not getting enough coming in. But then you started noticing that all of a sudden they're starting to sport Rolex watches and we're not talking the copy variety. They're starting to drive in in new trucks that, you know, like, where did they get the money for that? And you started noticing that they're like not just wearing stuff from Walmart now. They're wearing designer stuff. They're looking really good. And when they walk in, they don't, they don't care about the church's coffee. They stop at Sheets for a latte. Do, do you know what I'm saying? What would you say about their lifestyle? What, 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 what's that, Mary? Extravagant. Did you understand what I'm saying? So it's got to be marked by what? Moderation and temperance. Control. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That's not saying they can't have a new truck. That's not saying that they can't buy a Rolex if they want one. But I, as I know most of you, you probably wouldn't unless you wanted to buy the copy variety. Okay? Did you understand what I'm saying? That's not saying you can't sport skinny jeans. Now, some of you shouldn't, and some of the elders, we, we definitely should not, right? Okay. Did you know what I'm saying? So, but here's what I'm saying is when you're looking at the way they live their life, their character is one that's marked by what? 
moderation and temperance. Okay, let's go on. Paul states that the elder must be self-controlled and sober in his thinking. Now, most of your translations will say sober. That's not just talking about being sober with regards to alcohol. We've made sober that term, sober to reference addiction issues. Well, in a way, that's true because in the broader sense, it's talking about you being self-controlled in your lifestyle and what you're going after, okay? That kind of fits with the whole moderation and temperance issue. But you're going to be sober in your thinking. All right, so let's look at the next issue, his behavior. Paul states that an elder must be respectful in his behavior, He needs to be a respectable guy in his behavior. Also, verse 2 tells us that that the elder must be hospitable to others. Hospitable. What does that mean, hospitable? Welcoming, not just welcoming, but being able to connect with others in the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? being able to get on their level and to meet their needs. Do you understand? Okay, let's go on. Here's the biggest one. Because not everybody can be an elder, and this is one of the reasons why. An elder must be a teacher. Now, and I'm not talking about a public school teacher. I'm talking about he must be a teacher of God's word. Do you understand? So an elder must be a person who can assume the role of teaching the doctrine and the beliefs and the values of the church and God's word to people. Do you understand? So what you're going to find in our church is that the men who are elders in our church serve that role. They are teachers. They either teach young people or they teach adults in Bible studies or they'll teach Sunday school like when I'm not here. Sometimes they'll teach even the main service. I know Brad has done that in the past. So these primarily they're going to be teachers. Now let's just stop for a moment. That kind of dwindles it down as far as who can be one, right? Because can everybody teach? Okay, starting next week, we're going to put all of your names on a list, and you are, who's going to lead next week? Joy, you're going to do uh, Mary and Martha? Okay, yes. Do, do you know what I'm saying? A lot of you are like, I'm not coming next week. <laughs> and it's not because Joy's leading it. It's because I don't want to be next in line, right? It's It's not, see, not everybody's a teacher, right? Do you understand? Okay, let's go on. Paul states an elder must not be addicted to alcohol. Now, in Paul's day, the addiction issues were alcohol. I would say, in our context, if we're going to use the same qualification, must not be addicted. Because it doesn't have to just be alcohol today, right? It could be, what? Prescription drugs. That's the biggest disaster happening in our area. Okay? So, but for an elder in a church, an elder, he has to be what? He has to be not addicted. Okay? Not addicted. Let's go on. Paul states that an elder must not be a violent man. 
That's really talking about his temperament. Uh, now, some of you are like, wow. I've known people through the years, they never should have been in that position. Right. Right, they shouldn't have. Because you shouldn't be a violent man if you are an elder. Why? Why shouldn't you be a violent man if you're not an elder? Think about the practicality of that. Who do elders deal with? People. And do people pluck your nerves? No, everybody's perfect, right? Did you know what I'm saying? And if you've got a guy who's got a violent, angry temperament, how's he going to do dealing with people? I hear laughter in the back. Yeah, it's not good, is it? Okay, let's go on. All right, here's one. This is interesting, right? Paul states that an elder must not be greedy and here or motivated to have money. Must not be greedy or motivated to have money. Any comment about that? Thoughts? What does that do with half the guys on TV? I heard a mumble there, Rob. Yes. Yeah, because a lot of them definitely, especially if they're health and wealth prosperity preachers, what are they motivated by? And they like to flaunt. Remember we talked about temperaments earlier. They like to flaunt that if God bless, God will bless you and you'll have a jet like I have a jet. First of all, what are you going to do with a jet? Where are you going to put it? What's that in your backyard under the tarp? That's my jet. Did you know what I'm saying? Okay. So really he should not be motivated by what? Money. Motivated by personal gain or money. Paul states that an elder must be gentle and not quarrelsome with others. This gets back to the violent man thing, right? So he has to be gentle and how he deals with person and not a quarrelsome person. Now, have you ever met somebody who just seems like they always want to get in a fight with somebody? You ever met somebody like that? Just their temperament. They always want to stir the pot and what? Just, just get it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Oh, you know, the sky looks really blue today. No, it's not. It's purple. Like, really? Is that your glasses? You need to clean them or something, you know? They're just arguing for the sake of argument. Should that person be an elder? No. No, Paul says no. Okay, now. Paul states that an elder must not be jealous or envious of what others have. You think that's important? Why? Because in a church, listen to me, in a church, you're going to have people in church who come from all different social economical places. You're going to have the poor, and then sometimes in the church, you're going to have, a lot of times in the church, you're going to have people who are making money and who are able to have what? Nicer things, right? Is it wrong to have nicer things? No. What's wrong, though, for an elder is to what? Envy that. Be jealous about that. Wish I had his truck. I treat it a whole lot better than he does. Did you know what I'm saying? That's, that's really a wrong attitude. Okay? 
An elder must not be jealous or envious of what others have. Now let's go on. It states that an elder must lead his family and have the respect of his children. Timothy here is making a point that he needs to be able to lead his family and have their respect. Because he makes a side point here and says, you know, he warns that if an elder cannot lead his family, he cannot lead the church. Would you agree with that statement? You know, do you know what I mean? If, if an elder can't have it under control at home, how in the world does he think he's going to be able to guide what? Other people, right? Okay. Other people. Now, Let's go on. We're going to talk about his maturity. States that an elder cannot be a new believer or an immature or immature in the Christian faith. An elder cannot be a new believer or he cannot be immature in the Christian faith. Now, does everybody understand why? What do elders do? They're overseers, primarily they're teachers. They primarily guide the church within with regards to its ministries and the doctrine of the church, why is it so important that it not be just some new guy, new immature believer, why is it so important that you don't make that kind of person an elder? Yeah. They don't know, okay? What were you going to say, Lori? Pride, okay, we're going to talk about that in a moment because they'll get prideful. But see, because they're immature, they haven't dealt with people. They haven't lived life yet. Like, stop for a moment. Should a 20-year-old be an elder? Now, I'm, I've got nothing against 20-year-old. i got 20-year-olds in my family. But have 20-year-olds lived life yet? Did you understand what I'm saying? So, like, I became a pastor when I was 30. Okay, I finished seminary at 27. But I became a pastor when I was 30. I'm 51 years old now. And I'm going to tell you right now, 30, I thought I was okay because I was 30. But I'm going to be honest, 51, I didn't know anything at 30. Just being honest with you. And I'm old enough now to realize that at 51, I still don't know everything. I still don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? The older you get, the more you realize that you don't know it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know. And, and so... You need to have, don't just pick some new Christian or some immature person to be an elder because they're guiding what? The church and the doctrine of the church. Do you understand? There needs to be a level of maturity there. Now, here's the other reason why. He warns that such a person will struggle with pride and judgment as the devil did. You put somebody in that kind of position when they're immature and young, it's going to go where? To their head. It's going to inflate their ego. Well, I, I mean, I've known this. I've known churches that selected deacons who were 18 years old. They just graduated from high school and became a deacon. That's not wise. Did you understand what I'm saying? They haven't even left home yet with mama. Did you understand what I'm saying? Even if they had, it hadn't been too long. So Paul warns that such a person will struggle with pride and judgment as the devil did. Now, let's stop for a moment. Those are the qualifications of their character. Wow, huh? Now let's look at their testimony. 
Verse 7. First of all, it's to those who are outside. Paul states that an elder must have a good testimony with people outside of the church. Why is that important? Why is that important that they have a good testimony with those outside of the church? Why is that important? Okay, well, ambassadors, that would be good. Okay, yeah, because they're sharing the gospel. But why? what else? Okay, so why would you want to have a double life is what you're saying. A good testimony, but then a bad one outside. Okay. If you weren't mature enough to be, uh, have a good testimony outside the church, I would want to be mature enough to have an inside. Okay, you hear what Bruce is saying? So you're kind of living a double life. Why else? Yeah, Brian. Okay, because if you don't have a good, that's kind of like what Bruce is saying. If you don't have a good Christian life outside of the church, uh, testimony outside of the church, you must not be living the Christian life. Now, when you talk about people who are leaders in the church, they need to have a good testimony with who? People outside of the church, right? They need, that's what he's saying here. Let's go on. Final point. Having a good testimony is important to guard against falling into sin. Now, I'll just be vulnerable with you for a moment. I'm a human being. Everybody knows that, right? So I am susceptible to falling to any sin that anybody else falls into. Everybody agree with that? Okay. Do you want to know what... Um, do you want to know what keeps me a lot of times honest? What keeps me honest? Is knowing that people in town know who I am. Do you know what, do you know what I'm saying? It's knowing that people in town know who I am. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Because that keeps you honest. Because if I were to do something stupid, who would that reflect on? Everybody here, right? Right? Now, you say, well, George, you fly a lot. You go overseas a lot and teach a lot. What about when you're in an airport in Hong Kong? Hey, folks, I still have to, I still have to be guarded by the fact, because I have had this happen to me. In places around the world and around the country, I always kind of meet somebody who knows who I am. Isn't that interesting? Oh, how never thought I'd meet you in Hong Kong. Did you know what I'm saying? So you have to be what? See, this is the thing. It's good. Having a good testimony is important to what? Guard against falling into sin. Now, let's stop for a moment. This is what an elder is. That's what we should be choosing. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you, but here's what we tend to do. Because we're in a democracy and we see there's five slots and we only have three men, we got to fill those other two slots. We got to fill those other two slots, can't because those two slots are empty. Got to make sure there's two people in those slots. Okay, I understand that, but if there's nobody qualified, should there be two other people in those slots? No. 
Do you understand? Because in the church, we function by what? What God's word says, right? Okay. Okay.